Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. series neighborhood watch with a different song that kind of reminds us and this week is we are family um crazy neighbor story i like to try to start each week with a crazy neighbor story I read about a guy who um every every morning he'd go out to get his newspaper he would open it up and in the crossword puzzle section it was always done and he started wondering what in the world is going on and so he decided to try to figure out who was doing his crossword puzzle so Gets up one morning at 8 o'clock. I'm going to find out who's doing it. Goes out to his box. Already done. Next morning, 7.30. Already done. Well, this guy was like, I'm not getting up any earlier. So he sets up a GoPro camera. True story. I'm not thinking something up. This isn't a preacher story. Um, GoPro camera. And um, records. Sure enough, the next day, goes out, get his newspaper. It's done. Turns on his camera, watches for a while, kind of speeds through it. Comes to about, I think it was 5 a.m. in the morning. Sure enough, his elderly neighbor shows up on his camera. Goes to his box, takes out his paper, stands outside at the box, does the crossword puzzle for about 30 minutes, looks at the house sometimes, then keeps doing his, puts it back in. He's like, wow, crazy neighbor. This guy was, he thought it was great. He goes to the store, buys his neighbor a couple thick crossword puzzle books. Says nothing, just puts it on the front step. Goes home, watches as the guy comes to the door. And he said the elderly gentleman looked down, and then he got excited. And then he sat on his porch for two hours and did crossword puzzles. But the next day he shows up to his house. He kind of clicked, and he's like, man, I'm sorry. He said, we just laughed. We started a friendship. It was pretty cool. What a way to respond to a crazy neighbor doing your crossword puzzle, right? There's a lot of crazy neighbor stories out there, but we're calling this Neighborhood Watch. And we understand that the scriptures hang. Jesus said the scriptures, all of them hang on two things. Jesus said the story of God is to accomplish two things. The reason why Jesus comes to save us, rescue us, is for two things. All of this book is summed up in two things. Love your Lord, your God, with all your mind, soul, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. I think it's easy for us to fixate on the first one. Because, okay, love God, perfect flawless, always there, faithful. Okay, I can reciprocate that. Love my neighbor? Do you know my neighbor? Do you know people? Flawed, inconsistent, frustrating, mean, right? I have to love them too. In fact, the two things that we're remembering every week as we go through this series is one, loving your neighbor involves both reaction and proaction. 
The scriptures are going to teach us how to love our neighbor and show us that there is a reactive part to it. So I react to my neighbor based on the way they treat me or, and I'm called to love them regardless of how they treat me. I react in a certain way. But then there's also in scripture this whole idea of loving your neighbor is being proactive of, hey, I got the reactive side, but I realize that my neighbor, they need me. People need me. People could use my influence, my love, my help in their life. I'm going to be proactive. Loving is both reactive and proactive. The second thing is this, that you'll notice in Scripture when this whole thing is summed up, love your neighbor, that loving your neighbor, how we love our neighbor, is a good indicator of our relationship with God. And so 1 John, especially John the Apostle of Love, who uh, really writes a lot of what God wants us to hear about loving our neighbor. He says this, he says, listen. He says, just to be quite frank with you, that how you, First John is the knowing book, right? Know that you know. 39 times he uses the word know. He's written in the Gospel of John, I write these things so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ. And then he writes First John so that you might know that you're in him, that you are his, Right? And he says one of the indicators of how you know is if you love God, truly are his child, you will love your neighbor. Like, he says very strongly that if you don't love your neighbor, then you're not God's. You fooled yourself. You're deceived. You're a religionist. You're trying to justify your life, but you're not really connected to the source, which is God himself, who is love, who absolutely, if he's in your life, the only, you're compelled to do one thing. To love as God loves. So how we love our neighbor is actually a good indicator of where we're at in our relationship with God himself. Because God is love and calls us to love. So the, these weeks we've, we've went through and I've actually um, I titled every week. And uh, it's all mapped out. The first week I titled it, That's It. When Jesus was asked about this, okay, love God, love my neighbor. He did what we all do. He began to like, rash, or the, the person who asked that began to rationalize, oh, well, how do I love my neighbor? Who do I, who is my neighbor? Blah, blah, blah. And Jesus said, you want to understand loving your neighbor? I'm going to tell you a story. And this story actually should be the first thing we think of when we understand how to love. This is what God himself understands how loving our neighbor looks like. He shares the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in that parable, we understand loving your neighbor becomes this non-optional, interrupt your life, cost your time, cost you time, energy, and resources that ends giving your life mission. Like this is what loving your neighbor looks like. Like everything the scriptures are gonna teach kind of can flow into how Jesus shared that parable. That you and I have to be willing to realize that loving your neighbor is just who we are if we follow Christ. It's going to interrupt our own little thing and it's going to cost time, energy, and resources. But there is nothing better to be a part of in the world than being on mission as Jesus was on mission and knowing that, hey, 
as Jesus loved and changed the world, I can be used by Jesus to love, and through me, he can change the world I'm in. Are you tracking? Okay, not sure yet. That's, that's what this series is about, and that's it. That's it. First week, that's it. Last week, Justin shared the idea from Ephesians 4. We is better than me. That to get on board with what God wants us to do, we realize that the vehicle for loving our neighbor starts with this community of believers, the body of Christ. That we receive the calling that takes us deeper than ourselves and our own expectations. That we realize that life has never been meant to live about what I can get, but it's in how I can be a part of something bigger than myself, and that is the church. And it's actually the church that we learn how and we model to the world what it is to love one another so that then we are equipped to love our world. You ever seen that family or had that advice from that parent that you're like, dude, thanks for the advice, but no thank you. I've seen the way you parent, right? Or I've seen your family. I'm not following that. Dysfunction. You know, the world is looking on at the church, the family of God, and too many times they're saying no thank you because we don't know how to love each other very well. We don't know how to treat each other very well. And why the heck would they want to be a part of something that is dysfunctional? Amen? I've got friends right now who aren't following Jesus and they're, they're destroying their lives and the purpose God has for their life because they, won't, they, they just won't give their life to Christ and let him then do because their number one hang up is the church. You've heard this before. Right? The greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who claim Jesus with their mouth but then deny him by their lifestyle. This is what a world finds completely unbelievable. Right? And so in understanding how to love our neighbor, because ultimately the last part of this series, we're going to talk about loving your neighbor is sharing the gospel with them. It's gospeling in this world. But before we can gospel in this world, we must model and practice this in our family. We are family. Right? And Ephesians chapter 4 continues. As we started last week, we is better than me. We continue to this theme right now, what I'm calling this week, I've got your six. I've got your six. Anybody in the military? Have you been in the military? Raise your hand. Mike? Robert? Ron? Tex? You guys are familiar with this, right? World War I, in the middle of that battle, the pilots begin to use this analogy of the clock. Like, oh, you got somebody on your, at your 2 o'clock. You guys follow me, right? So 2 o'clock meant this way. 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock. But that one place on the clock that was really vulnerable is your six. And so what now has happened in the military is this phrase, I've got your six. And they model this. Like, listen, if we're going this way, if you're pointed this way, there is going to be someone who is making sure that your back is covered. 
I've got your six. Right? I would say that in the most important of arenas of life, beyond a military context or sports or anything, the most important thing in life is you need people around you that you can look at and say, I know they've got my six. And I have got their six. I am not going to allow them to become destroyed or less than what the purpose of their life is supposed to be. And that's what Ephesians 4, and I think as we do this holistic approach this summer of loving your neighbor, there is this aspect this week of understanding that part of loving your neighbor is loving your family well, the church of God. So let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. He gave these people to equip his people, the church, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become, and what's the word? Mature. Attaining to the measure of the fullness of Christ. Like this is the game plan. This is the purpose is that each of us might become mature believers. Right? He says, so we won't no longer be infants, not mature, tossed back and forth by the waves. And this was just a caveat here, but I have met too many people who have been in the faith for 30 years that are still babies in Christ. Like, they're not maturing they're still dealing with the same stuff. Like, this is how you fix that. This, God's plan is not for us to continually, like, eat, drink milk, is what Paul says in Corinthians. But to eat meat, to become. And he says, part of how this happens is we're infants because we're tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, be a part of a group of a community that speaks the truth in love to one another and will grow to become in every respect the what? Mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I want to give you kind of an, an analogy that helps me. It might not help you, but it's the best I got. And we understand this in the sports world, and you guys, some of you are rolling your eyes, because I, I like sports. But you could do this in the business world, organizationally. I understand this phrase, this passage to be kind of understood in this context. In the business world, or let's take a sports team, there's ownership, is there not? Somebody owns the team. Somebody owns the business. And for a team or business to be successful, the owner has to have a significant investment in that organization. Do they not? Some of you are like, yeah. Thank you, Cleveland Browns. All right, I hear you. You Browns fans grumble about ownership. Tight, don't want to spend money. The teams that are successful, their ownership has a significant investment, right? 
a business, when you have an owner that's significantly invested in the health of that organization, that's where it starts. And this passage I see, so Christ himself, Christ is the owner, right? It's his church. Gave himself. Like, is there a more significant investment than Christ giving himself for the world? Like, that's the best owner, that's the best owner you could ever have. Gives himself for you. He gives himself, and he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors. So every organization, business, or sports has a management team. General manager, coach, assistant coaches. He's like saying, hey, Christ gives and appoints and calls people to help manage the organization. I'm the owner. I'm significantly invested. I call people. The game plan is simply this. What we're working toward is not to win a Super Bowl or be on the Fortune 500 list. The game plan is that the whole organization would become mature like Jesus Christ. That's what everybody's working for. The owner, he has these apostles. Well, there was 12 apostles. If I call myself an apostle, you just get up and walk out. Okay? I, I don't, anyway, that's another story. There were 12 but they're evangelists, there's pastors, there's teachers. We've been called to help develop the people so that we can accomplish the game plan. But you know what this passage is reminding us? Is that a part of this whole process, and you hear this from every championship team, and you hear this in every good organization, that beyond an owner who's invested and coaches who try to implement the game plan and keep the game plan, that really what makes a championship team or a thriving organization is when the people in that organization begin to hold each other accountable. I promise you, like, I, I like hockey. I don't know if you know that. But my Colorado Avalanche are now up two games to nothing. And I'm, I'm, I'm invested. But here's the thing. I promise you when they win, you're going to hear in the locker room, when they win, you're going to hear in the locker room, yeah, we kept each other accountable. Leadership started in this room by holding each other accountable to the game plan. And the church of Jesus Christ is calling us to hold each other to this game plan of becoming mature. That's what it is to have somebody six. It's to know what the most important thing in their life is and to help them get there. I've even learned this in my marriage because I had this Hollywood idea of marriage, right? Like, got married happily ever after and then there was the first week. No. We did fight like cats and dogs the first year, I will promise you. I don't recommend getting married a year after you start dating. Probably not a good plan. So we fought for a year, right? That was okay. We got through it. We're better for it. Um, still have some scars, but you can't see them. I covered them up. No. You guys are slow today. Or I'm just not funny. I'll keep my day job. Stop being. A... But like I have really evolved in my understanding that honestly, as much as I'm there loving my wife as Christ loved the church as I can and this whole thing and it's beautiful and love and intimacy and all this that God deep within the heart of, of people want to desire, right? And it's actually just a picture of Christ and his church and all that that actually my number one role in my wife's life is to have her six when it comes to 
for following Jesus. Like I've, I just, I'm sorry. I, I was dumb. I thought it was to make her happy. And then I realized that's important. No. <laughs> See, I keep trying. This is all impromptu. It's not in my notes, no. Um, no, I realized that actually that to do what's best for my wife is to help her grow in Jesus, to do whatever I can to help her grow in Jesus. Right? That's what it is to have somebody sick. And so I want to remind you that if loving the family is crucial in understanding how to love our neighbor at large, then we need to surround ourselves with people that have our best interest in mind. Your six needs this from this passage, four things. The people who have your back should be people who are stable, doctrinally stable not tossed to and fro, back and forth by every doctrine or teaching or new idea or whatever. They're stable. They're grounded in the word of God. Or at least they're, they're going that way, right? Like, who do you want to have your six? People who love God and study his word and are trying to understand what that means. Right? Second thing is, they're authentic. This passage says that this healthy mix of loving the family includes this dynamic where you can speak the truth in love to each other. Like, none of us like to be told that we're screwing up. Anybody like that? I don't. I have an emotional reaction. If you come up to me after service and tell me, dude, you suck, can I even be using these words today? I don't know. You stink. My mom would have a cow if she's watching right now. I've used the word heck, and anyway. You stink. It's going to affect me emotionally. It's going to affect you. Your boss walks in and says, you're terrible. And go, oh, thanks, dude. You're like, bow up. But I tell you what, when I have those people in my life that tell me, but they love me, and I know that their only reason to do that isn't to make themselves look better, put me down so they can be superior. They don't care about that. All they care about is for me to be the best person I can be. Like, after I get over it a little bit, I'm like, I appreciate it. They really have my six. They want me to be the best person. Authentic relationships where there's freedom. Like, I see this all the time. I even see this in marriages. Where... People walk on eggshells around each other. What kind of marriage is that? That sounds terrible. How do you have a relationship with God? You, like, like you, you walk on eggshells, like, I can't say that or they're going to get mad. Well, maybe they'll get mad, but if it needs to be said, you guys should have a context of love that's deep enough that you get through it. Amen? <laughs> I know. I'm married too. I know. But Truly. Like we need to have authentic relationships where there's so much love that out of that love we're willing to say, hey, bro, I think that you've got to be careful with this. Right? Speaking the truth in love. Full participation. In every aspect is what this passage says. Like, to have somebody six and to be a part of a community that have each other six and care for each other and help and support and encourage one another to become mature in the faith You've got to have full participation. Like, 
I can't even imagine Keegan plays on sports team, Colby plays on sports team, if they just showed up game one and then didn't show up till game four. Can you imagine what the coach would be doing? Like, no, you can't play. You missed six practices and you just want to show up and play center field. What's wrong with you, right? You can't show up to work on Monday and just decide to come back in on Thursday. I mean, the whole business is going to be like, you're not doing your job. Things aren't getting done. Things are slowed down. What, what's going on? We can't be a good team, a good organization if there's not full participation. The body of Christ is no different. You can't hit and miss here there. You're never going to have people six and they're never going to have your six. And somewhere along the line, you're going to find yourself living less than the plans and purposes God had for your life. And then one day, in eternity, you're going to be really bothered by that. And so there's four participation, and there's growing love. So that this body that goes together and every ligament, like this athlete is being formed or this healthy organization is coming together, strengthening each other, and it's just, whew, that it builds each, other, it builds each other up in love. The people you surround yourself with should be creating a desire and a thirst in your life to be a more loving person. Amen. If the people you hang out with, you walk away and you're negative, you might want to reassess that. Or complaining. If they're not stirring your affection to, to help you to have a greater capacity for compassion and love and mercy, then maybe you're, you're selling yourself short. Like they don't really have your six. And so you're going to be vulnerable to missing out what God has for you in your life. Listen to these words from Proverbs. The righteous choose their friends carefully. But the wicked, the way of the wicked, leads them astray. The righteous choose their friends carefully. It's 1 Corinthians 15 that says this. Paul says, don't be misled. Bad company will corrupt good character. I've walked this tightrope in my life because if you know, like, I, well, maybe you don't know. I just, I was pretty willful in my teen years. I ran with a group of people that once I became a Christian, like, there wasn't a lot of things in common, right? Like, ah, like we're not doing the same things on Friday nights anymore. But yet I was friends with them. I still am friends with them. And I wanted, and so I, I told myself, well, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm secure in my faith. But you know what ultimately happened over time? Like, I was really struggling. Like, this is true. This verse is totally true. Who you surround, my mom always told me, birds of a feather flock together. Like, who you hang out with is who you become or will become. They influence you. And so having your six leading you to Jesus and becoming mature in the faith, your friend group is really important. And learning how to really love one another, it's so vital for experiencing God's plan and purpose in helping us to love our neighbor as ourselves. I, I like to think of it this way. Casual friends are the result of my circumstances. We all have casual friends, right? 
And they're like, yeah, that's all I have. We all have casual friends. Like your circumstances. You work with people. Are you friends with the people you work with? Yeah, generally. Some of you are like, no. <laughs> it's kind of the result of your circumstance. Like you're friends because you spend 40 hours a week or 50 hours a week with them. Some of you are like, I don't have any friends at work. It's a struggle here at the church, I'll be honest. No. Like, casual friends, they're the result of our, we all have casual friends. Right? From, I have casual friends that are in the sports groups that, I, that I'm a part of. Like, because my kids play ball. So guess what? You spend like 30 hours, 40 hours with these people, and you become friends, hopefully. Like, that's a good thing. But they're casual because of the circumstance. Sometimes those become close friends, right? But normally it's casual. They all have casual friendships. But here's the thing. Close friendships should be the result of my choices. As Proverbs says, the righteous man chooses their friends carefully. And then there's a sense where there are core friendships that are the result of the course of my life. I think Jesus modeled this really well. Jesus had casual friends. I know it's Jesus and he's the savior of the world. But Jesus, when he was on this earth, couldn't be friends with everybody, right? Couldn't be everywhere at all times. That's why he said, it's gonna be even better when I leave. And they're like, what do you mean? He said, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna be in all of your hearts in this great full way because I can only be in one place at a time. And he had casual friends. The 500, the 120 in the upper room, they were casual friends. They had limited influence. Then he had close friends. He called them his disciples, right? They had more influence, like he did and they did. And then he actually had core friends, high influence, James, Peter, and John. I know that sounds unfair because Jesus had, but he did. Because he knew that's how our lives go. We're going to have casual friends. We're going to have close friends. We're going to have core friends. I mean those two or three people that are, when everybody's walking out, they're walking in. You need those. And who they are helps determine the course of what your life looks like. It's like this. Proverbs remind us that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Proverbs 27, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Close and core friendships do this. Encourage me spiritually. Support me emotionally. And challenge me morally. If you've got a better word than morally, I'm game for it. I couldn't find a better word. But you know what I mean. They challenge me to be a better person. The best friends are the friends who bring out the best in me. These are people who have your six. These are people that should help you model for yourselves and experience what it is to love your neighbor in the closest context. Your friends. Sometimes this is family, sometimes it's not. But this is desperately needed to be understood that you and I have to have people Stable, authentic, 
fully there with us, helping us to grow in love, that have our six. And this is the way I would just simply, I've got your six because what matters most is helping you become mature in the faith. And so understanding, loving your neighbor as yourself, it starts with the family of God. How do we love each other well? How do we look out, each, look out for each other well? Are those close friends, are those core friends, people who are walking the same path I am, are going the same direction I'm going, and are they helping me follow Jesus? Hey, your casual friends, I get it. Like, that's a big group, right? But those close and core friends, you need people to have your six. You need people to help you experience God's full plan for your life. And I get this. I'm talking to people who come from a lot of different backgrounds. Some of you are like, dude, my family, none of them know Jesus. They don't care about Jesus. And I love my family and I want to be around them, right? So what are you telling me? Put them in the casual list? I'm saying, don't forsake your family. Your family needs you to love on them. But fill your life then with close and core friends that strengthen you. Amen? You surprise the capacity you have to do both. Right? Don't be like, okay, my high school buddy, we're still close. We, I mean, I have that guy. Like, the minute I see him, like, we're brothers from another mother. Like, we just, he's heathen dude. Doesn't love Jesus. There's a bond there because we're just alike and we have similar, right? I don't walk out on him. Not his friend anymore. But I know that he can't be my only friend. Like I gotta have friends, core and close, that have my six. My six is growing in Jesus. Amen. Father, help us as we just walk through this this summer. Lord, our relationships are hopefully what we're about. Hopefully we are a people that, that wanna be about relationships above everything else. Lord, help us to have discernment and understand that the people that love us most are the ones that make us better. Lord, I've had a lot of great friends in certain ways that had a lot of fun with, but honestly, they did not make me a better person. And I'm still casual friends with them, but I realize, whoa, they're not making me better. Lord, help us to surround our life and find those places, that core group, those close friends help us to mature in the faith. This is an important piece of moving toward being a people that love God and love our neighbor. Speak to us each one in each different kind of way that you do. Grow us in this way and our love for one another. I pray this and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.